This is the Author Archive podcast. One of the people that I used to envy is Donna Leon. She writes these books about Commissario Brunetti, who's a policeman in Venice, and she lived in Venice. I think she's moved now, but she was very enthusiastic about Venice. Um, and when I met her to talk about her book, Friends in High Places, which was winning awards, I confessed to her that I loved going to Venice, but she, she was more equivocal. I live there more and more. I become increasingly perplexed about why people go to Venice, because I see so many people who apparently don't know where they are, who, uh, who will ask for the, the, the Bridge of Sighs, or no, they'll ask for, someone asked for St. Peter's. <laughs> no, that, that's in Florence. Um, I don't know why they're there, other than to take pictures or because there's some sort of list of places where you have to go to tick them off. I think it would be so much easier and cheaper just to lie and say, oh yeah, I was in Venice, because nobody wants to hear it, anyone. Nobody, anyway, nobody wants to look at your stupid pictures, your Yeah. People don't want any more postcards, because they've seen them all. And people certainly don't want to hear you talking about the beautiful mosaics in San Marco, because they've heard about them a thousand times. And it's, it, it's really a curse. To, I think it's a curse for us to have people there, but I think it's also a curse to go somewhere where you don't have an aesthetic or a personal reason to go, if you're just ticking things off a tourist list. Your commissario, your hero... Hates tourists. Yeah, he hates <laughs> tourists, but he looks and there's this socking great big liner parked out in um, the Lido and he said, we're whores, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, well it is, it's a, it's a una politica di putane. It really is a horror's politics because the entire structure of the city increasingly, year by year by year, becomes focused on tourism because it's the main source of money. So the carpenter closes his shop and two years later it's selling masks. Yes. The people who sold good bread, good olive bread, they're gone and there's someone there selling little plastic gondolas which probably in the end brings more money into the city because the other, the other shops just recycled Venetian money. These shops bring in foreign dollars yeah, or I, I, marks. I was reading some st some statistic that said there's only 13 plumbers or something in Venice, yeah. and yeah. but mask sellers there must be. So what do you get besides background for, for your character? What is it about the city, which I think is one of the most magical places yeah, on is. earth? I think even if if I think about it and evoke the memory. It makes me tingle because I think it is. I think it is literally fabulous. It's, it's a word that is overused. It's unbelievable. But it is, and that's why I love to go because it mm -hmm. gives me something that nowhere else can do. So as a visitor, but mm -hmm. what what you live there? So what do you get? I get gossip. In terms of work, in terms of the books, what I get is gossip. I've been there for thirty years, and I've lived there permanently for twenty. Almost all of my friends are Venetian or Italian who have lived in Venice most of their lives. Italians and Venetians love, love, love to complain, and they have a lot to complain about. At each conversation, something new clicks in my head, and I think, oh my god, there's another book, there's another book, because there are depths of corruption and depths of, of low-level low criminality that those of us who come from a different tradition simply cannot imagine. The other night at dinner, I had a friend almost in tears, a man my age, 
a wealthy man who has shops and restaurants and it was really un pezzo grosso in the city. He was almost in tears talking about the bureaucracy and the bribes and the dishonesty and the corruption. And as he talked, he got more and more heated. And I got more and more interested because I thought, oh, there's number 11. Because nobody who doesn't live in Italy can believe that it still goes on at the high level, the high daily level. It's like living with toxic waste. You perhaps adjust to it, or you don't notice it because it's invisible, but it's all over. And it's grist for my mill. Yes, and is that what keeps the whole thing going? I mean, if you, if you extract that, does it all fall apart? I would imagine that things would become very difficult if there weren't the grease on the wheels of the little bustarella, the two millions here, the two million, million there, perhaps because Italians are taxed so highly. It is always a miracle, not only to me, but to any foreigner living there, that Italians can live so well on so little. Many people I know pay 60 and 70% in taxes a year. Yeah. So they are constrained by this system to work in black, in nero, so that much of the economy of the city, and I would, I would extrapolate and say that much of the economy of the country, is in black because you don't have to pay the tax man. And everybody does it. And everybody is um, implicit. It is implicit that everybody cooperates so that when someone in a shop doesn't give you the little ricevuto fiscale, Good. He doesn't have to pay tax on us. I wonder, would it, would it change a little bit um, when the euro comes in? Well, you see, because you say oh, a couple of million. I mean, this is an odd currency that all of this happens in. Yeah, it'll be uh, a couple thousand euros. Do you think, you think there's extra couple of noughts? You know, when you first go, okay, I go to Venice more than I go to any other place in Italy, but you, the maths, when you first go, you know, you take off three noughts and divide by, uh -huh. you know. Something. Yes. Um, when a million means very little, you don't think this does something to the perception? Possibly, yeah. If, if lunch costs a quarter of a million yes. lira. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it seems an enormous amount, but it's less than 100 pounds. Yes. I don't think anything will change. I, I believe, in terms of Europe, I believe in the lowest common denominator. I think that embarking on a marriage with a fallen woman does not improve your morals. And so I think that for <laughs> Northern Europe and England to embark in this arranged marriage with a woman of, with many women of questionable virtue is not going to help raise the standard of morality in that particular family. You wrote a book about the Opera House, mm -hmm. which burned oh, down. <laughs> Which burnt down. Which, which was burnt down. Which was burnt down by a fire that was deliberately set. Has that got any relevance to, to that which we have been talking about and the fact that it was so laborious, the, the, the reconstruction? And what reconstruction? The, the day after, two days after the fire, in January, I believe, of 96, there was a lovely headline in Gazzettino that was the words of the mayor, Cacciari. Entro due anni, dov'era, com'era, within two years, where it was, as it was. And every Venetian who read the headline fell down laughing because they knew it was a, an obvious lie meant for the international community. They're now talking about 2003, which is, my, my math is very bad, but that's more than two years. And I don't think anyone, believe, anyone in Venice believes that they'll see it in their lifetime. 
because it's just a it's a system of deals that are made to appear good and appear legitimate but which possibly are not hmm. I must talk about the new book, I mean, Friends in High Places, which it's, it's, it's again harping back to the same thing, isn't it? Everybody needs them. Yes, yeah. Brunetti. He's sitting around. Whereabouts is his apartment? It's near San Oponal. It's on the other side of the Rialto. It's on the non San Marco side of the Rialto. Yeah, okay. Is this sort of a nice place? Is it? Yeah. A, yeah. And a guy comes and knocks on his door and says, basically, your apartment doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, did this, is this something that came up at one of your dinner parties? It came up when I bought what I have now come to call the house from hell about three years ago. I bought, I bought paradise. I bought Manderley. It was one flat of a 17th century palazzo, 17 windows, skylights, glorious views on all four sides because it was a, <laughs> it was a freestanding building. Two weeks after I bought it, my architect said, ah, Donna, there's something I don't like here. The wall had a uh, una pancha. It had a it had a paunch. And he said, "I think there's problems here." Na 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 na. Structural problems. Twenty one months later, after throwing money into a hole, throwing a lot of money into a hole, I sold it. I lost a fortune. But I had I at that point or by that point I was presented with the possibility of paying once or paying forever, and I decided to pay once and forget about it. I could not do the structural work. The best engineer in the city said, this house is going to fall down if these repairs are not done. And they were major structural repairs. Nobody in the building wanted to hear it. The city administration didn't want to hear it. Nobody would listen to Franco Pianon. So finally, after going to endless meetings and paying a lot of money, I just said, I, I can't do this because I have my life to live. This is like being 55 years old and suddenly finding yourself with a severely handicapped child that you don't want. So I sold it. And as, of, as a result of that, I thought I will write a book in which I attempt to suggest some of the crazy things that can happen in a city where to put a nail in a wall, you need a permit. That's an exaggeration. That's a gross exaggeration. But, but to open up a window that was closed 20 years ago, you might wait three years for the permits even though you have photographic evidence that there was a window there 20 years ago. Doesn't matter. Everything goes through a long and snail-like process, which is what happens to Brunetti. Someone comes and says, this building cannot be proved to have been built. We don't have the papers that show that this building was built. The fact that it is here is irrelevant to this discourse because we are prisoners of the documents. It could happen. Then we get a um, guy who trips on the scaffolding, falls off the scaffolding? Falls off the scaffolding. Falls off the scaffolding. Falls from the scaffolding. Yes, okay. Uh, yes. Um, what should we say about him? Well, he's, in terms of these books, he's doomed from the beginning because he's honest. He works in a city office and he's honest. And in this criminal world that I insist should be given some faith, that's the kiss of death because he is, and I, and I believe that it would be difficult for a, a rigorously honest person engaged in some sort of bureaucracy in Italy to thrive. Just think of those two judges, Borsolino and Falcone. They were blown up. And they were two of the most rigorously honest judges in Italy. The mafia blew them both up. 
about six years ago. So this poor, this poor fool, like Alice in Wonderland, thinking, oh, well, we can do this, dies. Yeah, and your man, he has a friend who runs nightclubs and things. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been friends for a long time. But the fact that he's a policeman and... I mean, he's honest, isn't he, your man? Policeman? Yeah. Yeah. Comes between us. Yeah. It would have to. Because he's an honest policeman. Yeah. So, and I think this creates terrible problems for Brunetti because everybody knows that the system is the way it is. And so to remain honest, you really do have to accept a certain level of corruption because that's business as usual. If every policeman in Italy arrested everyone they knew to be doing something illegal, there wouldn't be people left to close up the jails. Yet you're comfortable there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, feel very, I feel more at home there than I've ever felt in my life. That's Donna Leon talking to me about her life in Venice. She's moved on. She lives in Switzerland now. She's 80 years old. And that interview, I can't remember where it happened, but it was somewhere quite noisy. And I know it happened before 1999, because that's when Italy joined the Euro. This is the Author Archive podcast. Mm -hmm.